Welcome to the Blade Fit Today podcast, where we discuss the lively world of historical fencing and everything else related to the sword arts around the globe. Michael Forrest Meservy has been teaching HEMA for over 15 years. He leads the Noble Science Academy and has been involved in the organization and creation of a number of HEMA groups and resources, including the HEMA Alliance, the Wichtenauer, Battleborn, Fraufacht, as well as the U.S. HEMA events calendar. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. Good, good. Yeah, uh, Michael Forrest, uh, big hearty welcome. And uh, as it turns out, I mispronounced your last name. Yeah, it's Misservi, but it's okay. Pretty common. Misservi. Yeah. Used to have two S's, actually. Really? And then we, then my family moved to America and lost one of the S's. Okay, so it sounds like that wasn't too long ago. Uh, 150 years ago, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> long enough. <laughs> yeah. Lost the S, but the family remembers. Yeah, yeah. Long Pepperidge Farms, they remember too. <laughs> well, anyway, hey, uh, so happy that you came on. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. And um, so just for the audience, in case you don't know, um, you know, we've got a mover and a shaker in the HEMA community here. Um, so like your bio says, you've been at this for 15 years. I've been teaching for 15 years. Yeah. See, to even longer, teaching for 15 years. And yeah. um, that is uh, very uh, elderly, statesmanly, um, especially in the United States. <laughs> so you've been at this for a very, very long time. Yeah. yeah I got started in HEMA in 2001 is when I started practicing. So long time ago. Nice. And so what was it called in those days? It didn't have a name. And there's, there's actually a story behind that. But yeah, uh, some people were calling it Western martial arts. The word HEMA did exist, I think, at that point. I think it had been invented in the late 90s, I want to say. Um, okay. But it there was no consistent description uh, or name for what we did. I heard uh, several different kind of competing uh, monikers or whatever. Wow. This is really cool. We're on the Wayback Machine here. Yeah, I got, it, I got into it like 2012, but you're, I mean, yeah, not not too many people who are still doing it who started when I did. There's there's a few of us, but not wow. that many anymore. And you look really young. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't feel as young as I used to, but I guess I'm not super old yet. <laughs> no, I mean you really look young. I I mean you're, um, like you look like your late twenties. In my twenties? Oh, that's great. Uh, Makes, makes me happy to hear that. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know how old you were, but I could say that late 20s to mid 30s, that's where, where I'd peg you. I guess my gray hairs are not showing up well on the camera, so <laughs> works to my advantage. Yeah, I'm getting some of those too. All right, hey, so that's fantastic. Uh, well, it sounds like, well, were you at the right place at the right time? How did you find it and why did you do it? So, yeah, definitely part of that was uh, being in the right place at the right time. Uh, I found HEMA because I was in a college class with a guy known uh, named Jake Norwood, and who is a kind of a well-known guy in the community. And uh, we took a class together. And one day at the end of class, he's like, hey, Mike Forrest, do you like swords? And I'm like, sure, who doesn't like swords, you know? And then he explained that they did this, you know, a sword reconstruction thing out uh out on campus and that's how i got involved nice long long time ago and the rest is history <laughs> basically yeah <laughs> so, so what was it like back then i mean what um, was it just strictly long sword or, or what did you guys do and it was most what's that where did you get the source material Oh, that's a good question. So the group that I initially had been participating with was a hacker group back in the day, what is now known as Arma, uh, before it was Arma. And the source material uh, was hard to come by, right? Like we only had access to a very, very few treatises, especially in translation, um, but even at all. It was just like, if you could get your hands on a, a copy of a treatise, that was a big thing back then, you know? There was no YouTube didn't exist at this right, point no in time. YouTube. Yeah. Um, I don't even think Wikipedia existed at that point in time. I don't which think is, so. Which is well, crazy when you think about it. But yeah. Yeah. So, so it, was, it was hard. I mean, the internet was around, but it was hard to 
to find this kind of information out. And so uh, it was a lot of like contacting people that you think might have access to the sources and, um, you know, being part of a hack at this point, a lot of what we got came top down from Clements, right? right. Because that's, that was the nature of that organization. Sure. And I mean, Never it had to start from somewhere. Like you said, yeah, and I'm and I was just I was just learning from Jake, you know what I mean? Like Jake and then later on Stu uh file mm -hmm. who ran the group there. And so I, you know, they they taught me and I learned and uh you know what I could. But but you know, back then with limited access to the sources and not a lot of experience, what we were doing was pretty terrible. <laughs> you know, it wasn't it was not great HEMA back then. Baby but sex. it was something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well I I know it's so funny. Okay, so it's 2023, and you know people who grew up with the iPhone is you know take it for granted. I mean, back in the day, knowledge was really hard to come by, especially niche knowledge. And so, if it wasn't it in was. a book in the library, you didn't know about it. If it wasn't in the encyclopedia, you didn't know about it. And you had experts who were, you know, in some ivory tower somewhere in a university, or you know, at the end of some kind of. Uh, apprenticeship or residency or something and that's it yep you couldn't yeah just I mean, look it up and and with the the hema groups at that uh point in time there was some like secrecy that would go on between the groups where it's like if they had sources sometimes they'd like try to hold hoard them and, and keep them to themselves Unreal. and so one thing that was like a, a thing that happened back then is if you wanted something that someone had often you had to trade them something to get it <laughs> So it's like, well, what do you have? And so like, I can give you something that I have so that you get, so I get what you have. And so um, there was not this uh, emphasis on sharing and everything that we're used to today, you know, where it's like, hey, I found a new source here, everyone, come check this out, you know? That's, that's, that's wild, actually, it's crazy. It was kind of crazy, you know? Yeah, super different from today. Very, very different. It was a completely different. I mean, you know, now we've got professional schools, we've got tournaments everywhere. We have dedicated HEMA gear. Yeah. You know, when I first started, there was only one thing that we had that was dedicated HEMA gear, and that was wooden swords. Everything else was just borrowed from other, uh, other sports or whatever. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Or people building their own boffers or whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really really interesting. Okay, so we've established you go way back. Yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty amazing. Um, so okay, well in your in your journey, I mean, you've had a lot of time to go through, um, you know, different treatises, uh, other source materials, and, and weapon sets. Do you have a favorite? You know, it changes. Uh, it kind of depends. Every week, I kind of feel like, oh, this week I'm really enjoying rapier. This week, oh yeah, longsword. That's where it's at. Uh, lately, I've really been favoring uh, broadsword and harch. Really, really enjoying broadsword and torch. It's just such a powerful weapon combination. Uh, so I've been I've been having a lot of fun with that. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, I'm kind of like you. I, you know, like like everyone else, you see the long sword and it's just so elegant and wonderful and super powerful. Um, and at first blush, like anyway, uh, I, that's not my favorite. <laughs> it, it used yeah. to be just like everybody else, but. Um, I kind of have a love-hate with longsword, um, honestly. And, um, you know, just when I think I'm good, I discover that I'm really not so good. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe I'm lousy. Um, and that's how I'm it good. goes, though, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been there maybe at multiple points, you know what I mean, in my life. And, and you always have to just, you know, keep working at it. Longsword is the hardest. Um, like, I, I started in longsword, so that's the weapon I've been doing the longest. Um, Still very popular at the academy. I've got, and I've, we've got a good program. But uh, as you know, from my point of view, like developing a curriculum, developing a system, and teaching that to people, longsword is really tough because it's such a complex weapon. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's um, and it's easy to. I mean, just speaking from personal experience, just habitually, um, you know, the the bad habits that we kind of slide into. Longsword yep. will eat you alive when you start doing that, and then someone comes along that you haven't fenced like even as pairs and you get together and you start fencing and you, you sort of it's really really easy to slide into some bad habits and then you fence someone yep. else thinking you're all good and they just humble pie the whole time well 
yeah, and, you know, starting back when I did, lots of bad habits, right? Because we didn't we didn't know what the good habits were and everything. Initially, a lot of it we were just trying to figure out. And so, to this day, there are things that I struggle with that I, I teach my students, and I'm like, don't do this. You know, do as I say, not as I do. I guess, but you know, <laughs> right, always. Well, some days I really love long shorts, and I just feel unstoppable. Mm. And other days I feel like, what? But anyway, uh, longsword is is really really fun, and I still enjoy it. But um, um, right now, well, I guess my favorite I've discovered is saber. I love saber, and saber extension broadsword. Um, mm. But and I and I love shields too. So you said, you know, right now uh, broadsword and targe. Yeah. It is amazing. You can do a lot of good things with that. It's just when you use it right, it is so hard for people to deal with that weapon combination. You know. Um, yeah, we do a lot of saber at the academy too, but it's British saber because we do British broadsword, and so the British sabers it's the same thing basically. Yeah. Don't 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 let the sabers know that, but no. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, but, it's but, like the same, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the British the British system is the British system, yeah, right. And so it was taught to people with broadswords, people with sabers, and it's just essentially the same. And so we have this this fun little you know uh, intra club rivalry or whatever uh, where students some students would be are subverse and some students are broadsordists uh, and they're always trying to like you know uh, encourage new students to join their their side as it were or whatever and, but of course like they all go out and compete in saber um and they'll all go out and compete in broadsword at battleborn you know yeah yeah so. yeah there's there's something really um just yeah uh, broadsword saber and, and that's i practice a british saber as well and Napoleonic mm. era. So, I mean, it is like the same. Um, I mean, yeah. obviously it's not exactly the same, but it's same. It's basis. very similar. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, when I'm, did I lose you? Hang on a second. We got a little internet something or other. So, uh, hopefully we'll get him back. Da, da, da. Here's where I do a song and dance, everybody. Uh, looks like we lost Michael. And in post, I think we're going to have to, edit that somehow um hopefully he'll come back on so uh, okay i'm gonna oh here we go yeah we're gonna edit this in post it's just that's gonna have to be how it is okay okay i got you back all right yeah and the thing is i actually could see you the whole time but i guess my upload yeah that's okay we'll, we'll edit that in post we'll just uh, knock that out I was just kind of screeding about uh, um, Saber, and I totally forgot what I was going to say. But uh, other, oh, other than it, to me, it feels the, the ultimate poetry emotion when I'm when I have an on day. It's 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 an amazing system. Um, as far as the the stances that you take, the way that you manage distance and timing, I mean, it's like it's almost like fighting southpaw. And I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and I could I could really see the genius behind the system. I mean, they went to war doing this, and it's really easy to get in and out of trouble with yeah. with the with the the movement scheme. And um, I really like yeah. it. You could be super aggressive and live, uh, or you could play it cautious and get out of there. So yeah, I dig it a lot. Yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, so let's let's talk about the Noble Science Academy. You've been doing that for for how long? Did you say about fifteen years? Actually, when I started teaching. So okay, and it's always been yeah. the Noble Science Academy. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Yeah. As soon as I moved off and got on my own, I'm like, well, I want to keep doing HEMA. Uh, you know, and and so, uh, you know, it started out as a like a in the beginning. It started as a simple backyard club, um, but before I knew it, we'd grown to cover several clubs on, in two different states, and now we've got over a hundred members and dedicated training space and all of that. And, and so now, you know, the Noble Science Academy is a—it's a small federation of HEMA clubs with kind of a set of shared goals and values. That's amazing. I had no idea, and that's that's cool. Um, you know, uh, that's kind of my—you just kind of blew me away. 
hundred <laughs> That's like I would love. I mean, I got about twenty, and I'm trying to get the forty. But yeah, hundred yeah. is like, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, and, and you know, that's where I was like, you know, ten years ago or whatever. I'm like, yeah, ten. This is awesome, you know. Or whatever, okay. yeah. Okay, so I mean, I gotta know how did that happen? How did you do that? Uh, you know, I think there's there's a lot, right? There's a lot to it. Yeah. But part of it is, you know, starting with the academy and, and what we wanted the academy to be, right? So, um, making it work for everyone and and creating something where the goal, right, is not. Um, you know, it's, it's not to make money or whatever. It's it's to facilitate the sharing of ideas, uh, training methodologies, translations, interpretations, um, and and yet still having something that is a, a rigorous curriculum and a a testing process that is vetted and and worked on and everything else. So it, it creates something that that people are drawn to. And I'm speaking now uh, talking about the Noble Science Academy as a whole, as opposed to like my particular branch of it, right? Because I I run. A, a physical school in Reno or in Sparks, but uh, and we have the the larger organization, which um, which has a few other clubs as well, and and part of that was was having something that everyone could work towards, so we could all help each other out and we could all push each other, right? So like half of that is the sharing of resources, but the other half is like, you know, how can we get better? What are the steps that we can take to get better and to help each other get better? How do you do it? And then, <laughs> well, I'm asking, I'm asking for some secret sauce, right? So, okay, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you're, I mean, you're talking about good things, right? You're, you're talking about, um, um, you know, um, a culture where you're pushing each other, and a culture where everyone is putting in, so that everyone could take out. Am I? I mean, that's what I'm hearing. Is that? Is that? Yeah. Kind of what you're doing. Yeah, and so, so like on a on a local level, right? Because that's that's the organizational, like institutional uh, approach. And on a local level, we're we're trying to do the same thing. And part of that is culture, right? We we're creating this this uh, this welcoming culture where the idea is, I want people to come to the academy, and I want them to be happy to be there. You know, I want people to be happy to be there, and I want them to feel like they're growing. Because if you're not growing, then you're not going to get the same long-term benefit out of being there. And if you're not happy to be there, then you're not going to get that short-term benefit. And, you know, part of that is I've been doing this a long time. I've been teaching a long time. I am a lot better at teaching now than I was 14 years ago. Yep. You know, I am much, much better. My students progress faster now than they did when I first started 15 years ago. I mean, that shows like one of my students right now is ranked number one in the world in women's longsword, right? Uh, and she, uh, a year ago, she might have been considered a rookie because she's been doing this for about three years now. Yeah. So, and, cool. and yeah, so some of that's the experience and some of that is the culture and um, just, you know, caring and trying, right? And I know that's that's oversimplifying it a lot. Right. And I, I can appreciate that, but in a, in a format like this, right, I'm not going to be able to, you know, give you all the, all the details of, of the day to day and how, how we make it work. Right. Um, That's right. Cause there's That's so right. many different facets to that. And that would be kind of a snooze fest if you just cataloged all the stuff and this and that. But so let me ask you some, some basic questions here. Um, so you're, you're talking sure. about, yeah. uh, okay. So you're talking about long-term, you know, you want these guys uh, who are coming in, you want them to continually look forward to the next, you know, something, the next progression, right? So does that mean that you guys run tests? I mean, traditional martial arts, they have the belt system or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. And so you have something similar to this, it sounds like. Yeah, we have a very rigorous ranking system. Uh, okay. the academy. It's actually the, the most rigorous system that I personally have seen that does not specifically require meddling in tournaments. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, um, yeah, and so and so all of this. Sorry, I'm speaking over you. No, please. Uh, and so so all of the ranks, there are goals 
as part of those ranks and there are skills that we work on. And so we have like specific tests that we uh, work towards passing and they're difficult tests. Uh, like one of them for broadsword is someone's going to throw 20 cuts at you in a row at speed randomly and you have to defend them all. Right. And that's hard. Uh, and I've, I've gone through this process myself, right? I had to work very, very hard myself to pass this test to, to develop those skills. Uh, and now, like, now I can do it. I can do it consistently. But, oh, it, it took me a, a lot of practice to get to that point where I could, where I had those skills uh, to pass that test. And that's just one example. We've got lots of stuff like this where, and the test, uh, the purpose of the test, right? It's not to give you a pat on the back. It's, I mean, sure. You worked hard. We want to respect and, and recognize that, but the the purpose is to motivate you to train, right? To get you focused on the next thing and and how do I get better? Right, and and uh, that's yeah, I agree. I I can see where that's super important, super important, and um, I mean, there's obvious reasons why um, most or all HEMA clubs don't have a rigorous testing because the the culture isn't set up quite like yeah. that. Um, it's more collaborative and less top down just because the, the depth of experience just um, typically isn't there. Typically, a that's true. Coalesces, right? Yeah. And everyone's about like the founders. They're all about the same more or less in the same spot. And yeah. um, so one thing that I find with with my club is that um, I mean there's there's other experienced um, sword fighters around, but they don't want to join my club um, just yeah. because. I mean, and it's fine. It's just how it is. Um, and new people want to join my club if they live in the area because I can teach them something, and they feel like they yeah. can learn something from me. And I've been doing this since 2012, and I got into this as a, like a strictly fitness thing. Um, yeah. And then later on YouTube, I discovered HEMA and I thought, oh, this is amazing. I need people to fight with. And I didn't for six years. So all I did was just mm. focus on motion, focus on yep. movement, pour over what, you know, instructions people were, were offering up uh, on YouTube. And, that, and I just, I knew I couldn't get good at, at fighting others at, in that time span. So I was just insane with, okay, body, do this, do that. I'd look at my shadow to make sure I was doing things right, making sure the That's flow great. was just so. All of this stuff, right? Like crazy stuff that normal people who aren't weird like me don't do. Right? But, you know, it's stuff. great that you were willing to do that, right? Because, like, you put in the work, you know, and even when it's the hardest, and it is the hardest when you're by yourself, man, um, and, and you did it and you you trained, and and at least hopefully you were gaining something, you know? It was great. It's fun. I yeah. loved it, and it engaged my mind way better than just running would. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And and it's just as far as fitness, the way I was doing that, I got really cut. It looked like I was in the gym. I wasn't. I was just swinging the sword. I was That's not awesome. maniacal about it. Yeah, it, it was great. Um, but it wasn't as great as finding other people and sword fighting them. That oh yeah, better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's better. Yeah, that's great. And then, yeah, and then so uh, by the time I, you know, um, was able to to find people to actually bout with, all the stuff I was learning just just kind of clicked, and then um, awesome. you know, in a weird independent way, I, I found basic raw motions, and then I discovered mm. Lichtenhauer, and I was like, that's totally legit because I know for a fact that's how that works. Um, yep. And then I I felt vindicated, right? Because yeah, yes, yeah. and isn't I mean, isn't that great, right? When you're like studying something, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I get it, you know. This this is what this means, you know. And it's like, or you or you've been training something, you've been training something, and then it comes time to test it, and it works. It you know it, it functions the way you were hoping or whatever. And sometimes that that's how it works. And sometimes you're like, oh, I I don't get this, you know. That's the other side, right? <laughs> is when you're like go back to the drawing board on this particular one or whatever but yeah i think you know when it comes to the old team of people sometimes you know people have been doing it for a while they they like what they do 
you know, or they like where they come from or whatever, and they don't want to give that up. And they, some people feel like when they come to, you know, a, a more established school or whatever, that that they have to they have to somehow sacrifice who they are because that's kind of tied into their past and and their past in Huma. Uh, especially when so many of us, you know, started from backyard clubs or, or small organizations or, or whatever. And when we take pride in kind of the work that we've done, you know, to, to progress and all that. Um, yeah, the, the Academy is kind of uh, interesting that way because it's it's both top down and democratic. Uh, the, the curriculum is actually largely established by a council of scholars. So it's like it's a it's a group effort but everyone works together to be like, what's the best way to train this? And then we share that. And then that's the, the top down approach. That's amazing. That I, that's as best as you could get, I think. So that's, that's really cool. Uh, so is your curriculum something that is uh, like, a, like a secret sauce, like club secrets, or is that something that you kind of publish and say, Hey guys, do what we do. How does that work? It's published internally. I'll say, uh, yeah. I, I don't know that the curriculum by itself would necessarily make sense to someone who's not training with us because the curriculum doesn't tell you the interpretations, right? The, the curriculum is just a sequence. It's like, you know, this is the way you introduce, or, or the, this is the order, right? We're going to introduce these techniques, these principles. Um, this is when we're testing what, but it doesn't tell you how to do anything, you know? It's like a modern treatise. <laughs> I mean, maybe more. <laughs> maybe it's more like a modern settle or something like that, right? It's it's a yeah. summary. Yeah. Right. No, I, I think that's I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to glean here, and we could go on and on about that. Um, sure. You know, a lot to cover. <laughs> yeah, but, you, uh, I could yeah. talk on all day about the academy. You know. <laughs> no, that and, and that's great because. Um, you know, historic fencing is just getting more and more popular. And, you know, there's a lot of people, it's a common problem. And I, and I know, and you know what it's like where there's no one else anywhere around you. And it's like, well, how do I do this? How do we get started? And um, I mean, been that's exactly times. where I was for six years, right? Like, what did I yep. do? Well, I just, you know, did a thing. But, you know, you don't have to just spend six years in the wilderness all by yourself just trying to figure stuff out, right? There's so many resources today. And um, there is so yeah. much. Um, yeah. And even if you're in the middle of nowhere, chances are there's at least something a few hours away. Like there's not very many yeah. places left, uh, certainly not in the US or Europe, but even to a lesser extent, even anywhere in the world, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of places in Asia now where there's a club a couple hours away, you know? Yeah. And that's exciting because it, it I mean, it's just, it's just growing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. really quick, uh, some some key some key points, right? So, just a thumbnail sure. sketch. If you wanted to create a a club that someday could possibly become established, like the Noble Science Academy, uh, what are some key ingredients to make it go? Oh, that is a good question. So. Like a decade ago, I actually wrote a guide on how to start a HEMA club because I'd done it so many times. Uh, I've actually started like three or four clubs uh, at various points because I moved around a bit. But really, what you need first and foremost is the dedication, right? You have to put in you have to put in the work. Um, and actually, and that's that's the the academy's motto is Nihil Sine Studio, which means nothing without dedication. Um, you you've got to put in the work. You have to put in the training. You have to put in the time. And at the same time, if you want to have a successful club in terms of growth, you have to have a good culture. You know, you have to have a positive culture. Agreed. Definitely. So. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the, the short version, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I mean, that's good. I mean, that's that's I mean, that could be a season of podcasts just just about that. They could be a podcast. I'd agree. Human club. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that definitely could be that could be a thing. So, well, if you don't mind, let's shift gears uh, to Battleborn. Sure. Um, so Battleborn three is yeah. just around the corner. Uh, yeah. May 27th. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Memorial um, Day weekend. 
So that's our kind of flagship event that we run at the Noble Science Academy. Uh, this year, we're going to have tournaments in longsword, rapier, uh, broadsword. We are going to have women's longsword this year for the first time. And we're going to have... Oh, I think I lost you again. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to keep talking until we... Oh, am I back? Oh, wait. I gotcha. Yeah. So let's okay. let, let's try this. Let's try this one more time. So Battleborn okay. Three is just around the corner. Uh, what can we expect at Battleborn? Tell us about it. So this year at Battleborn, we're going to have tournaments in longsword, rapier, and broadsword. We're going to have uh, both an open and a women's longsword tournament, and we're going to have uh, our steel broadsword tournament as well as a single life broadsword tournament where if you get hit, you're out of the event, out of the tournament, the broadsword tournament. <laughs> That's maniacal and amazing all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, and the reason most events don't do that is because no one wants to travel to an event and only get one exchange. But that's why we have our regular broadsword event. And so you can enter the regular broadsword event and you get your pool matches and everything else. Um, but then if you really want to see What's it like if you only get one shot and you're dead if you get hit kind of a thing? Uh, that's that's as close as we can get in a, in a HEMA context. So, Yeah, I, I like it. You, you could play the old school. Okay, so um, Battleborn 3. Like, what? So there's New Year 2023. People can travel. People can do tournaments. And, of course, you can't hit them all. There's only a few that you could do. So why choose Battleborn? What, I mean, what... What makes Battleborn special? Why should we do that? We really strive to make this a quality regional event. Uh, I recognize it's not a big event. It's probably never going to be a big event. But the caliber of the event. Um, I've had several people say, tell me that it was the best judging they'd ever seen at a HEMA event. Uh, we're very, very careful about our ju judging. We actually build the event around the judging. Um, I also think we have one of the highest prize to participant ratios of a HEMA event that I've seen. Uh, last year, we had three different competitions we were running, and we gave away five steel swords. Oh, wow. To put that into perspective, right? Uh, and our biggest event, I want to say, was 24 people out of those three. So you can see, like, the numbers there, they worked out. Uh, yeah. And... Um, and we've got some excellent, uh, you know, workshops. We've got, you know, Rob Childs and Jeremy Pace and uh, Dr. Maservi are all, all teaching, as well as uh, Zachary Brown came down from Canada this year, or is coming down from Canada to, okay. to teach a class on footwork. Okay, yeah, see, now you're talking. That's that's really fun. And, and uh, you know, those are also some heavy hitters in the community. And yeah. who, who doesn't, who doesn't want a shiny sword, right? A chance to get your hands on a nice shiny sword. Yeah, and we, we know we will have at least a few uh, steals this year as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 great. So it's in Carson City. Yeah. And it's always and it, in Carson City. It's well, yeah, yeah. It's always been in uh, the first year was actually in Sparks, but the last last year and this year, Carson City. Carson City's been helping us out uh, with running the event, which has been great. Oh, for, that's nice. Yeah, we've been grateful for their support, and that's it's helped to make this happen. Yeah, that is fantastic. So. Um, any advice on so you you uh, you know you get all booked up, you got your slot right. That's the most important thing. You got your slot, um, and then so you're you're flying into what you say Reno probably. Yeah, yeah, it'd be the Reno Tahoe International Airport that you'd be flying into. So for anyone who's flying, if you reach out to us, we will help you with Grand Transportation if you need it. Um, oh, no, just so let us know. Even nicer, yeah, yeah, that's that's very cool. Yeah, I mean, like, like I mean, you know, we. Go Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, if um, that's what you get when you have a high caliber, a little bit more um, intimate uh, situation, you get a nice, uh, well, it, it's just it's it's just nicer like that. You, you kind of get treated like you're, like you're something special, even if you're not. <laughs> yeah, one, you know, our goal is kind of, we want, we like the intimacy of the old school HEMA events, yeah. but we like the professionalism of some of the best modern events and we're trying to marry the two where we have a a really well-run uh, or at least we're trying right to have a well-run yeah. you know modern professional hema event with high quality judging 
and at the same, but at the same time, we want people to have a chance to talk and hang out and do all this stuff that, that you really feel like you, you got to do uh, back in the old events. I, I will say this, though, if anyone is listening to this, uh, hopefully there will still be spots available. Um, we opened up registration less than two weeks ago, and most of our events are 80 to 90% full already. And I haven't advertised. I posted on our Facebook page, on the Battleborn Facebook page. That is literally all I've done. Uh, and yeah, and the event fills up very quickly. Sounds like so. you guys need to run more events. <laughs> it's so much work, though. Yeah, just what you wanted to hear, right? Just yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, we do another event, right? We do Fraufecht. That's right. So let's talk about that, uh, Fraufecht. Um, cool name, by the way. I, I think that's Oh, great. thank you. Now, from the name, I, I'm assuming this is a this is a, a ladies' tournament. Yes, yeah, it's a women's event. It's actually the first women's event that was uh, run west of New York, as far as I'm aware. So we're like, What's... sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, we, we recognized, you know, oh hey, there's a need here, and so maybe we can do something about that. Yeah, I think I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, because I mean, there's a lot of and, and more and more all the time, right? A dedicated uh, women fencers who really want to compete at the highest level. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we definitely just need more and more of this type of, of, uh, of uh, a tournament to make this happen. So what's the genesis? How did it get started? And uh, what's, what's the experience like? What can we expect? Um. I'm not sure that I'm the best person to answer all of those questions, especially when it comes to the experience, right? I'm just there to help out. Uh, and, and I want to be clear, um, Fraufecht is not my event. I help with it, but I don't run it. It's actually, it's run by a committee of women who they make the important decisions. They decide who to, who's going to instruct and what weapons they're going to run and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's even better. Okay, yeah. so, um, well, but, I'll have to ch chase down whoever, see, because I, I don't know who runs Fraufecht. Like, like so, actually, so this this year, the person in charge is actually uh, my wife, Dr. Maservi. Uh, nice, okay. But, yeah, so she, so I, I'm, you know, I'm aware of, of a lot of this stuff. Um, last year, it was run by Rochelle DeBolt, who's one of my students, because uh, we're hosting it, right? But uh, it's not just Noble Science Academy that runs that one. The committee has women from kind of all over the country uh, that participate and contribute. Uh, and last year, you know, we had the first women's broadsword tournament, I think, in the world that I'm aware of. I believe the first women's saber tournament outside of Europe, you know, because it's like everything is longsword. And we're like, well, but women do other things, too. Uh, I think this year we're going to have a small sword as well. And, and there's rapier. So, so lots of lots of things besides longsword. Well, that sounds amazing, actually, and um, so that that's super cool. Is this um, both with uh, Battleborn and Fraufecht, uh Are these going to be um, like broadcasted at all? Is it something that people can watch on the on, on YouTube or something later on? It has not been. Um, we ha we do take video of the fights, or we have in the past at Battleborn. Battleborn. One, we have that on YouTube. Uh, Battleborn 2, we actually haven't finished going through all the video. I know it's been like nine months <laughs> since our last event, um, but we just we haven't managed to, to, yeah. to process it. We took a lot of video. Uh, yeah. And some of it, at least, hopefully, will end up eventually on YouTube. But uh -huh. um, but we don't, we don't live stream it. We don't currently have the uh, maybe the manpower plus expertise to do that and do a good job. But maybe at some point, right? I'd love to have yeah. it broadcast and live streamed. But yeah, it, I, I know it's it's um, you know the the just the way that the, the world is going. You needed some kind of video feed to get you know people interested in it, and not to make the event bigger necessarily, but just kind of to seed the 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 hobby, right? I mean, some people yeah, call sure. it a sport. Some people call it a hobby. Some people call it a martial art. Some people. Get upset it's, it's all of the above yeah yeah and that's why it's so cool right that's why yeah. our community is so cool because it is all of those things yeah it's a martial art it's a sport it's a hobby and and you know for me it's a profession right yeah yeah it's all of these things the... <laughs> yeah super, super cool 
Uh, okay, uh, anything else of, of noteworthy that we need to discuss about Fraufec? Um, it's in September. I guess that's good to know. Okay, yeah, that you is know? good to know. So it's in They haven't opened registration for it yet this year, but I think okay. that's going to be coming soon. So any women that are interested uh, or any men that want to come and help and volunteer or take some classes, the classes are open to everyone. The competitions are only open know. to women. Oh, actually, there there may be a men's longsword this year at Fraufec. You know, the, the token men's event. Just like there's token women's longsword at most team sure. events, right? Why not, right? Why not? I mean, uh, no, I don't. I don't know for sure because, uh, like I said, I'm not in charge of, of any of that stuff. So that's up to the the prospect women. A fight's a fight. If it's open, it'll get filled. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's fantastic. And uh, you know, I, I'm a fun-loving guy, but uh, um, you know, my humor. I don't want people to take. It. This the subject material lightly because it is important and, it, and that's yes super, yes yeah, and that's super cool. So yeah, um, ladies, if you're interested in uh, a tournament for you, uh, it sounds like Fraufect might be something that you could be interested in. So September, um, yeah. So so check it out. Um, yeah, I, that'd be super duper cool. Super duper cool. Yeah, I, I understand that everyone that went last year absolutely loved it. One hundred percent of them said they'd be returning. Let me pull everyone. So that that that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's hard to do because you know one of the one of the main uh, complaints about HEMA tournaments in general, not you guys, but just in general, yeah. is uh, is is judging quality. Right? Yes. And everyone has good intentions, or at least I hope everyone has good intentions. We assume everyone has the good intentions, right? And yeah. at the beginning, and, and let's just I mean straight up. If you've never judged before, it is a lot harder than you think it is. Number one. It's hard. It is very hard. It's and especially if you don't have experience. Yeah. And then the second thing about it is, is you're fresh at the beginning, but later on in progression, when you get the better fighters are still in, they're faster, their their techniques are sneakier, right? Their, their attacks are fooling each other. And your eyes are tired, your brain is tired. And it's easy to miss those very subtle maneuvers that they're doing on each other. And that could really maybe leave a, a bad taste in, in, in people's memories when it's not a, I mean, on one end, if you're volunteering, it's not fair to the judges to be held to a standard. But on the other hand, really, it's ultimately, it is, right? Like we have to be better judges. Um, I mean, that's why we build Battleborn around the judges. Yeah, it's right. Uh, and it's and we actually so one of the things we do about the porn is judges aren't allowed to judge two shifts in a row. Basically, okay. there is no judge that is going to be judging for two hours straight. You know, that's that's good. See, because fatigue is thing, a thing. It's real. It is real. You can't you, know? you can't just like run through it. It's it's uh, it's the swords go too quick. And, and there's some people out there that are they're real troopers. You know, like, uh, you know, Paul from uh, down in, in the L.A. area, he like that guy will judge for like eight hours straight. And it's amazing how good of a judge he is at the end of that eight hours. Um, but everyone is better than they're fresh, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in, in our club, we practice judging as well as practice the craft. Right. And and I think that um, I mean, you know, I'm not going to tell you know other people what what they should and shouldn't do but i would i would argue that it's a good idea as part of gatherings in the club to have exchanges at least uh in the club where people are taking the judging seriously um sure. to, to at least kind of kind of you know hone those skills a little bit because human needs judges yeah and i'm not the world's greatest judge but um <laughs> but it's a but it's something I'm judging is hard Judging is. is really hard. And it's something that we've recognized, and in our club, we, we find it important. So so we do run, like, little uh, internal stuff. Sure. And we're yeah. just about to the point where we feel like, well, maybe we can invite other local clubs and have a thing, right? And we're, we're getting there. We might do that maybe the end of this year or early next year or something. Haven't well, cool. decided. Yeah, but ultimately, yeah. it is about the judging. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I beat a dead horse on that one. <laughs> but yeah, so I was actually just talking to John Knock about this earlier today too. Like we were on a phone call and we're talking about judging and how do we make judging better? And it's it's a thing, you know. Practice more judging. I don't know what else. Because because uh, um, okay, it's segueing to something similar. Um, rule sets. Yeah. Every tournament has a slightly different take on what the rules should be and yep. i even said that wrong they just have different rule sets and you know what i don't have a favorite i think i mentioned this before i don't have a favorite i think it's all fun i think it's really cool and i think that's the beauty of hema is we get a tinker with different rules and i think some rule sets are kind of rising in popularity versus others for sure it's not the end all right i mean you need different rule sets to kind of well, it's just a different feeling. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I'm old school. And us old school people, most of us are of this this attitude that, hey, we don't want a single tournament rule set because when you have a monolithic rule set, the fencers start fencing to the rules. Yes. And, you know, the idea is when we have this, uh, you know, great variety of rule sets that we have now the polyphony as it were of rule sets then you just learn to fence and you plug that in to the rule set wherever you go and of course you know at, at battleborn we definitely have our ideas of what a rule set should look like but i you know i'm i'm with you i think it's great that we have uh, variation and variety and, and all of that and some of my fencers frankly do better in other events rule sets than they do in our rule set yeah but um you know like you say in a tournament you have to have defined rule sets because that helps with with the judging and everything so what's the what's the flavor it's it's um it's a little bit more kinetic like on, on the scale of uh of um you know just touches versus on the floor smacking each other in the face you're kind of in the middle more towards the kinetic side i think correct me if i'm wrong Sure, uh, in, in, in the f sense that we are not playing with lightsabers. It's not just, oh, I touch you with my sword, and uh, that's a point. Yeah, you know, a lot of thought and consideration uh, went into the Battleborn rule set. I have judged uh, myself a number of rule sets. So I have a lot of experience judging. I've competed under a few different rule sets. And I, I've looked at a whole bunch of them, and you always have to make sacrifices when you're coming up with the rule set. There's something that you're going to favor and something you're not going to favor. And with you know with our tournament rule sets, we had a couple things that we keep in mind in you know making our decisions and and determining what we're going to do. And one of those things is we chose to focus on target priority over tempo priority, which is to say we care more about where you um, where you hit rather than whether or not you hit first for the most part. And that's unusual. Most team rule sets are tempo priority. They really, really care who hit first. And so in, in most of those tempo priority rule sets, it matters is like, can you get anything before your opponent and that makes the world of a difference. If you and your opponent both hit each other in the head, but the judge decides yours landed first, you get points. Yeah. Yeah. And under our rule set, that's not the case. And if someone hits you in the foot and then you hit them, hit them in the head, you get points and they don't because you nailed them in the head when they, when they went for your foot. Um, and so like, that's one of our considerations and one of the choices that we've made. Uh, and there's a you know there's a cost to that because uh, just like tempo priority rule sets can be gamed by by going for the easy stuff and leaving yourself open, target priority rule sets can be gamed by leaving the low stuff open and just protecting the core, protecting your chest, protecting your head, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, we've also consciously made decisions to wherever all else is equal, we've tried to avoid exacerbating natural or pre-existing advantages. So, for example, is there a rule that favors tall people? If so, we've tried to do the opposite because tall people already have an advantage when it comes to fencing, when you have that reach. Um, and so, and tempo priority favors, for example, people with longer reach. Something else that people don't think about that favors people with longer reach is having a bigger ring 
because the more room you have to back up and maintain that reach advantage, the more it works to your favor. So we have a much smaller fencing area than most of the events I've been in, uh, been to. So there's less room for you to back up. You've got to be very mindful about when you back up. Um, we also require spatial awareness in our ring uh, because it's actually not a ring, it's a diamond, it's a rhombus. And so as you are circling, you will be further uh, away from or closer to being out of bounds depending on where in that particular With most tournaments it's a ring it doesn't matter you can just circle all you want it doesn't make a difference but at our event you actually have to be aware of where you are in that space um or you could accidentally you know circle yourself out of bounds uh, yeah, and ring yourself out and stuff like that uh and you know there's some other similar uh rules that we have um that that are kind of related to that type of stuff yeah, that's that's very cool. That sounds super challenging, actually. I, I don't like that. Yeah, you know, and we're trying we're trying to encourage historical technique every way we can. Um, we find that certain things help with that. Uh, so, like for a battleborn, we whenever we do battleborn rapier, we have used this this rule where you cannot cut to the torso under the arms, and have that be a scoring action, and. Uh, What's cool is that this year SoCal used that rule. Sword Crush, I think, is using that rule. So we're seeing like some of these other events starting to adopt that rule as well because it leads to more historical technique, technique that looks like the treatises. You know, and we've got you know other rules that are like that, where these there these seem like these little things or these bizarre things in some cases. But the goal, the goal is not like we're in a street fight, we've got you know sharp machetes, what can we do to each other? The goal is how do we encourage people to do stuff that looks like the stuff in the books i like it so and and we've got one of the biggest point differentials between targets mm -hmm. out of any event that i know of because of that as well yeah that's right so um uh, run through that really quickly so headshots is uh four points it's basically yeah. we only have two targets it's either uh it's deep it's high or it's low and if it's deep, it's four points. If it's low, it's one point. Uh, if you get a deep target, but you get hit in the process, you either get zero or one point. Gotcha. So you only get that four points if you get out clean. And that means no after blow. Aha, right. Yeah, super important. Yeah, they're not just not, just not doubling, but also not even getting after blow. If you get hit at all, before you know, stop is called or whatever. Then you, you're you're getting one point at most. Yeah. So okay. So uh, after blows, because I, I mean everyone's been in a situation like this. You get a solid hit, and you're coming out, and then what you felt was sort of beyond the natural tempo of an after blow. Someone just really hits you hard uh, when you thought it was done. Um, and they think, hey, man, this is legit. And you think, well, but you're kind of dead. I mean, obviously, they wouldn't be dead. How do you navigate that? Um, is, that a, is that a tempo thing at that point? Or is that just I'm out of measure now? Like, how, how do you? How do you so you're you asking, how do I navigate that as an organizer or as an instructor? Because that's two different things in my well, mind. Okay. Uh, let, well, let's talk about let's talk about both. And um, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so so as an instructor, right, I, I tell my students, you always want to make two assumptions. Assumption number one is you want to assume that whenever you hit your opponent, you have not stopped them, right? Because you don't know, right? A few years ago, I read about this guy who got stabbed in the head with a kitchen knife in China. It's like a nine-inch knife and walked to the hospital and was okay. So you just, you don't know, you know? Like this guy had a knife sticking out of his head. And he went to the hospital. Um, and so maybe you'll stop them when you, you know, throw that beautiful cut at their head and maybe you won't. And so you make number one, you make the assumption that they can still attack you after you've hit them. And assumption number two, you assume that anything that touches you will kill you. Yeah. Because again, you don't know. Maybe this light little cut will be harmless and won't do anything to you. 
but you don't want to get touched. Uh, and so from a, you know, an instructor of pedagogical point of view, that's what I want my students focusing on uh, is not getting touched and making sure even after they hit the opponent that they're ready to protect against whatever could be thrown. From uh, Now from an, an event point of view, right? Obviously those two assumptions are in, in contradiction. They're kind of, they contradict each other. Right, you gotta sportify it somehow in the tournament, right? Right. Because there's a martial art and then there's the tourney. And so we we allow for a single uh, single step, single tempo after blow. Okay. Someone hits you, you get one strike to try to get them back. Um, and the assumption is that you need to be able to defend that. Now, and I, I say that we, we don't have tempo priority, and that's mostly true at Battleborn. There is one exception, and that is if you hit your opponent first and you get a deep target, we ignore an after blow that's to a low target. Right. And Which so, like, it's, yeah, if you hit them in the head, they can't just hit you in the hands. Um, and we, we actually did allow them the first year, but it's just so easy to take the leg after you've been hit. Um, right. Yeah, that, and and that that gets game very very quickly, yeah. and so to kind of discourage that game of oh shoot I lost you so we're we're definitely gonna have to edit this in uh, or edit this part out uh, man this was just getting good so hopefully the internet will come back in just a second so I'm just gonna keep talking and uh, Michael Forrest is gonna come back on in just a moment. And, uh, yeah, stay with me, folks. Stay with me. <laughs> In post, we're definitely go oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. It's coming. Oh, it's a blank screen. Come on, Internet, don't fail me. Oh, here we go. Okay, we're on. It looks like we're on. Okay. You, I lost you right when you were talking about um, single-time uh, tempo. Oh, uh, yeah. After blows, but but first year you allowed hands and... and, and yeah, first, first year we allowed after blows everywhere. And, uh, it, I mean, it wasn't too bad, but definitely I could see that that, that was going to be gained. <laughs> yeah, so deep target after blows. So yeah, if you if you get a deep target hit, afterball has to be deep target. Got it. If oh. you go for a shallow target hit, then everything's open. Yeah, that that makes sense. So you hit um, shallow target and they hit you back. Anywhere, then yeah, then then either either you well you get nothing either way if you hit shallow target, but if they hit you deep after you hit them shallow, they still get a point. Right. Yeah. That makes right. Sense. But uh, yeah, if you hit them deep, they have to get something deep to to get rid of that if it's an afterball. But the, and this you know. This helps people to protect themselves after they've been attacking and to make sure that they don't do something suicidal to get that point. But also, it's easier on the judges because most of the time, yep. the judges don't have to care about who hit who first. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And because we only have two targets, that's also easier on the judges. <laughs> and the easier it is on the judges, the less uh, they are likely to make mistakes, right? Because less different things they have to worry about paying attention to. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and there's a beauty to it, right? So, um, you know, boxing, obviously, there's certain places you can and can't hit. Um, an extreme example is kendo, right? There's only four targets with yeah, kendo. Yeah, yep. Um, and, but the thing about it is, is, is it's easier to judge kendo, I think. Um, and the sport obviously molds to the rule set. But what you're saying is, hey, as an organization, if there's just different rules for different tournaments, we're not going to get those defects. It's going to yeah. still run, you know, naturally how it is. I mean, hopefully, right? That's that's the, the, yeah. the thought. Well, I, I kind of like that idea because um, part of a, 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 a hobby, a sport, whatever, uh, part of the growth of historical fencing requires a, a broad base of people who are interested in watching also or in ingesting it being part of it the spectators thing and fencing is notoriously hard to watch it is i mean it's interesting i'm, I'm a fencer and i'm not not a modern fencer but i'm a historical fencer and i like i do rapier and i find fencing hard to watch you know 
yeah, it's really cool for the first maybe 30 seconds. And after that, you're like, well, I don't know what's going on because, you know, at rest, physiologically, your your eyes don't work the same as they do, you know, when adrenaline's squirting in you and, like, there's a person with a piece of steel in front of you. It, you just function different. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's – it's uh, so, yeah, I like – I like where you're going with that because when you when you have certain targets and uh, you know deep targets, I mean that's that's totally legitimate. Um, you know that's not any. Uh, how do I say this? And I don't want to I don't want to speak ill of uh, of another sport, right? Like I don't do kendo, sure. but I understand it's been around for a very long time, and it is what it is, and it has its reasons, and I'm willing to celebrate that along with anybody else. But I will say sure. this about it. You know, you have four very specific targets to hit, and you have to call the hit before you do it. Um, well, that's uh, it's very ritualistic. But what you're talking about is, hey, deep target is a deep target. Well, it's yep. easier for the judge to see it. It's totally legitimate as far as a physiological. I'm trying to, you know, if this was real, I'm going to totally make sure this guy cannot get up and walk anymore. Like, he is a threat, and I'm going to end the threat. Um, it makes sense that way as well and so it, the martial aspect of the game i think is preserved with that type of rule set yeah i mean we're trying right obviously we care very very much about safety uh we don't have as maybe onerous as safety rules as some events might have but at the same time like we've run three events over two years and we have never had a single force related injury where someone struck too hard, and that's why someone got injured. And part of the reason might be that despite the fact that we actually do require minimum rotations, it's not much for a longsword, it's 45 degrees. That's like nothing. But yeah. it's there. And uh, But at the same time, our event has a rule where if you injure your opponent, you lose. And that, that means if you are in elims and you injure them, you are out. If there was someone else there, they will get a buy. Who who would have fought you? They will simply get a buy for that match. Um, wow. Because you you take yourself out by injuring your opponent. Uh, and we're, we're serious about that. At our last year's event, there was a guy who injured someone on a grapple, um, came in and dislocated someone's shoulder, and, uh, and that was counted as a loss. Uh, obviously, there's an exception if your opponent injures themselves or, or like sticks their hand out and and it's not your fault that they did that. Right. But if you're hitting hard, you know, you're you're taking that risk. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that, actually. It, it makes a lot of sense. Um, no, that's 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 fantastic. Um, you know, it's no wonder people come away feeling really good about their experience of Battleborn. So, um, yeah, good, good things, good things. And um, I myself really want to go. Uh, May 27th is my daughter's birthday. <laughs> oh, bring so your daughter. I don't know if I can negotiate. And make that. a fun birthday party. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, hey, let's go to Carson City, darling. So, uh, anyway, that's my personal grapple is probably TMI for this podcast. But, uh, you know, that's why, honestly, that's why you haven't seen my face yet, because that's, that's mm. um, one that I've really wanted to go to because it's just looked like a total blast. I, I love shields, and um, mm. it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a tournament with shields. And I, I, well, I, it's not, but... <laughs> well, okay, not it's got, we've got broadswords, but it's not targe, no targe. Okay, well, 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 pardon me. I take back everything I said. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what? <laughs> if you come, I will gladly fence you with a broadsword and targe. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be super cool. Very cool. So, um, Got a few students too. So. Uh, anything else we need to know about about Battleborn or Fraufek? No, I, I think I said. Very cool. Very cool. Man, this internet is not cooperating with us. So, I'm so look. sorry. No, it's fine. It's 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 getting back. You know, it could be me. Just as easy as it's you. Um. All right. So, a uh, couple. One one more question. Um. So. You also run the U.S. HEMA events calendar, or maybe you don't run it. But I, that, actually, John Knock is the guy who runs it. I help okay. him out. Yeah. It's kind of a, a joint project between me and John, but but he deserves the, the lion's share of credit on that. Okay, very, very cool. So thank you, John, for, for heading that up. 
but it, it's a super cool resource. So, um, how do you get on that event's calendar? So, basically, if you have a HEMA event, you talk to me or John and say, hey, I've got a HEMA event, and we'll stick you on the calendar. Very, very cool. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. All right. Um, well, uh, Michael Forrest, you have been an amazing guest, um, all full of knowledge. <laughs> we scratched the surface, my friend. I mean, yeah, this was, this was I had a great time uh, talking with you. Well, it's kind of you for bringing me on and uh, listening to an old growing yard like me rant. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it really is cool. And um, so just so everybody knows, um, if you're interested in in um, some of the things, projects, uh, tournaments that uh, that uh, Michael Forrest has is a part of. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of losing my brain. Is a part of. Um, I have those in the show notes. I'll put those in the podcast links. Um, and uh, yeah, so again, uh, thank you very much for coming on. I've got this cheesy applause button. We're going to hit this button. So, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, seriously, this this was great. And um, I'd love to have you on the show again uh, sometime in the future. Cool. Well, thank you. Very good. All right. I'm going to sign off because this is the worst part. Uh, signing off, I'm very bad at it. So I'm just going to say um, I'm Nate McBride with the Blade Fit Today podcast. Uh, Everybody slay your demons, and I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you, everybody. Thanks again, Michael Forrest. Yeah, no problem. Okay, see ya.